0: Welcome to the Everyday Whiteness podcast series, The Uncomfortable Conversations on Well-Meaning White People. This podcast is primarily for white listeners. It's also a podcast for all listeners who unconsciously operate through a lens of whiteness, regardless of the body that you inhabit. It's not meant to shame you for being white or thinking white but rather to support you in having more awareness of the impact of your whiteness as a cultural code of conditioning. My name is Guru Nishan. I'm a disruptor of cultural indoctrination and actively support the dismantling of false identity by curating uncomfortable conversations on taboo topics hiding in plain sight. I stand committed to the ongoing dismantling of internalized whiteness within myself and to make visible what is often rendered invisible in business, community, and culture. I wanna welcome our guest today, the Her information presented Raquel's in this podcast are for general education purposes only. She is an astute only, MBA level professional, professional so widely experienced in involved. global business and By listening you agree with strong combinations, of cross functional experience in diverse industries in either markets. yourself or others. She is in a creative but out of the box, box thinker, thinker who is uniquely Nothing in this podcast is, to grasp is intended to replace the focus on therapists, and set priorities or otherwise 20+ years of management sales health, and marketing medical medical experience advice, in various sectors she is able to drive, drive change LLC, achieve and organizations and effectively manage circumstances optimize any long-term gains in performance for revenue any and profitability or action on your part Raquel as a result of her, her content MBA from the University of Chicago Booth or or any adverse reaction, where she focused on financial, international business marketing and competitive strategy podcast she also received a certificate in international fin- financial policy from the Vlerick Leuven-Gent Management School in Belgium. <laughs> Raquel earned her BA in sociology from Duke University and is based in Chicago while working closely with colleagues and clients in other US cities and countries across, across the globe. I want to welcome you, uh, Raquel, to the Everyday Whiteness uh, special podcast series that we're doing. Uh, I really appreciate you showing up and being here for this conversation.
1: Thank you. Thank you for having me.
0: I didn't know all this about you, and and reading your bio um, um, is brilliant. And I and I really appreciate having um, a, a business, um, a black woman's business perspective on this conversation specifically, because um, it sounds like you've done plenty of academia and business management, uh, corporate work, and. Um, why don't you just tell the listeners who you are yeah.
1: Okay, beyond cool. your
0: bio? <laughs> well,
1: um, I am a Chicago native, I grew up in High Park and Lake Forest, um, and I am back in High Park now. And like my bio says, I have extensive background working in the finance industry, and I currently work in corporate relations back at my alma mater of the Booth School. So um, I've been there for the past three years working in corporate relations. And um, I'm a person I am love to travel. I love dancing. Um, I love reading. And I'm really, really into um, spiritual practices that help with my healing and my personal growth, and um, also into a lot of professional development.
0: Excellent. Thank you. Um, Thank you. So I always like to ask my guests when we first start, um, what does everyday whiteness even mean to you when you hear that?
2: Um. For me, it's, I
1: just say we live in a white, a white world, um, which I would have to say as I've gotten older has become more and more, um, obvious to me. I would say it's not something that I really understood at a young age, Because I grew up in High Park and I grew up in a very diverse setting compared to a lot of other um, people I know and a lot of, especially a lot of other Black people that I know. And, And it wasn't until as I got older that I started to really understand that there are certain, for me, being in like everyday whiteness is everyone conforming to kind of the standard that white people
2: have set. Mm. Mm. Can you so explain, not- uh,
0: speak to some of those standards that um, are are obvious to you um standards are <laughs> just our our our
1: behavior and the be, um kind of not challenging if when i say it was that if a white person says something does something that not challenging accepting it um In a sense, and also, just if they suggest something, then it must be the right way. Um, Seeing them in positions of leaderships, leadership, and that they make the the decisions, and since they're making the decisions, it must be the right decision, and it must be the right. Decision for um everyone and them and just seeing them as the majority, which I don't understand how.
0: <laughs> <laughs> like using that language when that's not in right. reality. True. Right. And right, right.
1: I it's think like, let's you're pause, not, like
0: let's pause on that because what you're you're speaking to is that there's a conform, there's a assumptive conformity. Mm-hmm that the standard equals whiteness, that right. the, the, that the, um, the, what you compare it to of uh-huh. what's right. Right. Um, uh-huh. and it reminds me of what resma Menicum talks about in, in my grandmother's hands and in his work around uh-huh. when you're talking about diversification, the question is diversification from what? Right. Right, it's that you know that acknowledgement that it's like oh you know white people, equivalence, the standard to rightness, the standard mm-hmm. to uh, purity, the standard to the way things are, as opposed to what if culturally that's not correct at all, right? And breaking that mm-hmm. apart and saying we need to ask a different question. It it is, and you can see how that kind of
1: whiteness has trickled into all different cultures. When we look at the, for instance, when we look at um, skin color, whether you're down in South America, you're over in Africa, um, even with amongst African-Americans for the longest time, and even in still several cultures today, the skin, the lighter skin complexions that were closer to white
3: were
1: mm. kind of considered more acceptable. The, like those were the ones that like, like how we better. think of the book cast, like the cast, they, they were better. Um, looking at hair, the straighter your hair, it's like, oh, you have good hair. And like, what's good and bad hair? But because it's closer to how white hair is. But now, as we if we if we really look at um society and pop culture and what's acceptable, we'll look at trends that came straight from Africa and they may have considered been considered ugly, not professional, accepted, like, and we talk about braids or curly hair and everything. But now we'll see, white people and white stars wearing braids and and it's like oh that's so chic and fashionable when mm. all that because if they wore it or they wear it it's
0: right. now it's whitewashed now it's, it's white and and, 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 and it it's UK acceptable it. yep. right a couple things in there <laughs> One, you know, you're speaking to the, um, the color, the colorization, the, um, God, I'm missing the language, um, colorism where we're talking about the standard again, going back to the standard to what, well, it's if, if the standard is whiteness, then everything's getting compared to that. But if that's Mm -hmm. not actually the standard, then the standard of beauty right? Mm -hmm. And so you're saying around the world, the, 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 the ways in which white supremacy is infused into um, structures that continually build in that white supremacy of colorism. Standard is of the lighter you are, the more straighter your hair, all of these, uh, air symptoms of whiteness, so to speak, or, or, uh, that's big. There's bleaching around the world. Right. These mm-hmm. things happen right now, right? Because yeah, the standard is whiteness. And you're seeing like these
1: celebrities who are creating bleaching cranes. They're not selling them here. They're
0: selling them over in Africa, and they're getting rich off of selling bleaching cranes. Because of this deep internalized colonization around you know, what has been imprinted around, what did you say, conforming to the standard that white people have set? Yes. Yes. I I can think of, um,
1: like for one instance, um, my mom was dean of Lake Forest Academy, which is a private boarding school up in Lake Forest. And I actually went to high school up there. We lived in Lake Forest. And she's also, um, she's since long retired, but she's a lifetime trustee there. And they have where they have um, students from Africa who will come and attend the academy. And they've long since had um, what they call their um Language Academy, where they bring students in from abroad, from various countries, and they can learn English. But I remember one instance, there was a young girl from Africa who was here. And for during the breaks, she really didn't have anywhere to go. And um, so they asked if she could stay with my mom. And so my my mom was was fine with that. But the thing was, before she went back, like she wanted to have her hair done. She needed help with her hair. And so we were having this discussion because she was like, your hair is a lot because her hair was coarse. And I was trying to show her how to do her hair. And she wanted to get braids. But um, the lady who um, we reached out to a family friend who wears braids all the time to find out where to get them done. And so the lady who was doing the braids Um, wanted to do them away in a way that would be very protective of the young lady's hair but the lady the young girl she wanted them like really really long and like smooth and silky and and she the lady was trying to explain to her that you know doing them a certain way it pulls your hair and causes breakage and everything and this girl was like really upset and saddened because she said well I want them long because I want the long hair like the girls at the school and you know that that hair is so beautiful and I want and I want my hair long like that and I want it to look like that and you know and she's saying that would make her beautiful and I asked her I'm like well what, what do you mean like what girls at school and she said, I want my hair to look like the white girls at school. And it's like to, and that hurt my heart to hear the level of, you know, a lack of self-love that this girl had for her hair. And I said, you know, I can show you how to condition your hair, do different things. So your own hair can grow and be beautiful and every and but it was like she wanted this like she wanted this long instant like long silky hair like they had
0: yeah and it's not uncommon not just from a a foreign exchange student but also our own, you know, our own here and uh, yes, because of the messaging and the long history of marketing, right. Marketing mm-hmm. whiteness as this, uh, standard. And it's so infused into culture that as white people, we don't see it because it's compared to us. So it's like anything yes. compared yes. to us, you're, you know, you blend in. So of course it's your normal, but have you talked to somebody outside? Yeah. Speak to that. Yeah, it's it's
1: you know it it's so in your your right it's like the normal and you can tell how much it's the normal because look what the hair weave industry wig industry is like a multi billion dollar <laughs> industry so that's something that um you know it's definitely the normal and and I'm I'm sorry what were you wanting me to speak no. to?
0: No, just what we were just talking about. That's Um, the um, the just the ways that um, everyday culture kind of is in comparison to whiteness. So it's like beauty standards. Right. Um, It blew my mind to learn that, you know, I I, I've never really worn makeup and I didn't grow up in a culture where we learn makeup, but to learn that there haven't been makeup that's the pigment of anybody's skin that's not white. that that blew my mind yeah yeah i I think that out not too long ago oh
1: gosh that that was
0: (laughs) that's what i'm saying uh, like yeah a lot of white people don't know all the ways this shows up like another thing i thought i learned about was prosthetics getting a prosthetic mm -hmm. and and not being able to match your skin because Mm -hmm. it's only the tone of white skin and, and that this is um so built into everyday society and and the reason we talk about it is to try to like expose all the ways it shows up and as a black person you know the way it shows up best yeah because you interact with it right right and it's that i
1: i would say one that's like really coming up for me now is because i was a ballerina and i took ballet from mm-hmm. the age of 2 and it's like the standard, you know, it's your black lintard and your flush tone tights. The flush tone tights were all pink. So that, that was, that was the, so it's, that's the ballot and it's meant for them. Like we have to see your form. So it's supposed to be flush tone, but ballerina tights they only they were only came they only came in white like pink color so they didn't have and when you think of like um undergarments in general like flesh tone undergarments they like I haven't started seeing them until like Recently, the past less than ten years, you you want a bra? It would be black, white, or a flesh tone or nude what nude we call it is the nude word. yeah nude actually yes. the language <laughs> built right. in
0: where you're just not included at all you're right <laughs> <laughs> so, so it's like
1: nude and you're like okay well let's see what's nude or like if you go like you look at some formal dresses and they have the netting and it's nude to so give that nude illusion but if I put it on my skin you're gonna see it <laughs> the, um, different it's different a things it's, it's, a a, it's a it's a <laughs> color it, it's not nude um that and then like back to the back to the makeup I can never I always and they think that we're all the skin same skin tone and I know this happens with my oh. mom and I a lot because we would go shopping for makeup a lot and they're like oh like my mom has more like reddish tone, undertones in her skin. I have more like bronze, gold undertones in my skin. So even though we're not far away and putting our hands close together, we look the same complexion, but we can't really wear the same makeup mm. because of the undertones in our mm. skin. Like if I put on her makeup, it looks entirely too red on my, um, skin. And I remember growing up, my mom, my grandmother's, my, the only makeup line we had was fashion fear. And that's because that was created by, um, the wife of, oh my gosh. And it's going to Robert, was John Johnson, the founder of Ebony and Jet, Mr. Johnson, his first name is leaving my mind now which black is surprise so yeah black-owned company so the the magazine ebony and jet his wife started fashion fear and it was the makeup for black women women of um women of color and that's that's the only makeup they yeah, had to wear as far as a foundation if they mm-hmm. wanted a foundation mm-hmm. to wear and i have to say growing up i hated that makeup that was just like caked i like to this day i think that's why i don't like to wear makeup that was your only option it was like caked on and then you got to the things where i remember i would have to go i would go to a department store and um especially when it's in college and you know, I um need makeup and there are certain areas because I went to school down North Carolina at Duke, so it definitely be hard for me to find out there here in the Chicago I could find it. So my mom I would get my makeup before I would leave, but a lot of times it was like that in between. So the um ladies at the counter, they would a lot of times have to mix two different makeups for me to get to my um, one that will look decent on my skin wow. if I to wear makeup. And it's same with my mom. So it's like this whole makeup thing. Eh, eh. And I oh. think that's why a lot of Black women don't wear makeup <laughs> because it's like, it's hard to match our skin complexion.
0: And just again, going back to how you know uh, these you know um, false beauty standards, mm-hmm. these uh, comparisons to what the the whiteness that, that's just infused into everything, and how much something that can be seemingly simple like what makeup you're what what foundation you're going to choose, right? Right. Is is really. Yeah, um, you know, or, you know, whether there's any dolls or Barbies that right, reflect right. your yeah. color, right? And not yes. just this white, this white pinkish color, mm-hmm. white as white people, you know, the reflection here is like how much these things are everywhere and yes. we don't see them. We and don't. we only will see them if we're crossing culture and learning about the experience of what it's like to be in a body that's not yours—that's you mm-hmm. a body that's having a different experience navigating time and space.
1: From from anything from like shopping again, Barbies. I was a major Barbie fan. Um, from different, just basic clothing um trying to find cl- because clothing was made straight so it's like especially with jeans <laughs> like, yeah. if I wanted to make it I had to get it and then get it taken in or different things like it's and then also what I said with the um tights for ballet and um nice. it, it, it's 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 various things like that. Um, especially for black women, men so it's <laughs> really not that um hard, but I would say especially for black women and then also looking at even things from just basic skin care for women versus because that that's another thing. I look at my, mom my grandma they're like oh do this wrinkle cream do this right we don't get wrinkles that fast so it's <laughs> and, then, and then still always getting the thing where I'm somewhere they're like oh what do you use on your skin to get re- rid of your wrinkles or not to I don't I don't have any wrinkles I don't yeah. Right. I, don't I don't like that, that. Right, right there it was like having you black don't crack Be like, <laughs> it's so it's different things like that um it's you know, and just understanding cultural things like when it like going back to hair when it comes to our hair and going to like I know one time I went to Um, a hair salon to get a color. Now, when you go to a black hair salon, it's automatically known when you go style, color, or something like, they're going to wash your hair, blow dry your hair, all included. I think it's different for some white salons where it's they're not equipped to deal with the hair they're like wash it okay you go or here blow dry your hair on your own and and then it's they but they don't know how to blow dry. It's you can't just shake it <laughs> like sometimes you have to use the the roller brush to blow dry the hair to make sure um the hair is um, dried properly and then using a curling iron and flat iron, different things like that. So they're just understanding um, things like that has been um, definitely the makeup and the hair and the clothing have been, eh, those are the traumas of a black
0: Girl, (laughs) growing up. I mean, and so many more. I mean, we're only talking on right now. We're only on beauty standards. Yes, we're talking about, but there's so many. You know, Mm -hmm. what 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 comes into my body awareness as I listen to it and and have learned around, like like I had mentioned, like makeup or prosthetics or just how everything, how how whiteness is is the, um, you know, the infused standard of comparison to. Mm -hmm. And from there, sets of behaviors and an ethos is set up. And, you know, going back to questioning that original assumption that is false, but Mm -hmm. the amount of impact of how many layers of society this impacts a a child or a person or a body growing in our consciousness Mm -hmm. and in our experience, whether it's whether we're wearing makeup or not, you know, whether we're having the experience of even being able to buy those items in our life, um, these things are infused into everywhere, right? And I think you said it in the very beginning around um, the, you know, everything, you know, whiteness is just everywhere. And it's that everywhere is this conforming that, that is a, to a standard that white people have set and they can't yeah. even see it. Yes. And so I could kind of feel like the, the disgust of that because it's like, how do you begin to talk about something that's so everywhere it's infused into regular patterns that are normalized and behaviors that are normalized. So it's, it's even talking about it is hard because it's just like everywhere.
1: Yes, and to... Go back to something that you just said about even being able to buy the makeup, which now we're going like transitioning into the place of even Black people having the resources to do certain things. And I would say that's something that Definitely comes up for me and really came up in my um, younger, younger life. And I know definitely one instance, because we used to spend our summers um, on the East Coast, on the vineyard in Cape Cod. And there was one time we would and we would sometimes drive up to Freeport, Maine to the outlets. My mom, my aunt, and we'd drive up there to the outlets, and there there was a time like at that time, it didn't I didn't really understand because I was young, what like the impact of the statement. But we were in the Coach Outlet, and so it was myself, my mom, my aunt, and my two cousins. And I'm saying my aunt, it's my mom's best friend <laughs> and her two daughters. So we we're all in a coach outlet. And that's this like a
0: one, back of a house, a coach outlet.
1: Oh, the, you know, the coach brand, the store. Sorry, coach, the coach outlet. Oh, okay. yes, outlet that, store. You're at yeah, coach the Coach outlet, outlet store. store.
0: Okay, sorry, yes, sorry. Oh, <laughs> I'm sorry. I don't I know show the, the lingo here. Okay, You're talking about fashion. Yeah, um, so, I want to just pause and just say. So you you grew up in in Forest Park, which is predominantly white neighborhood. Your mom was like, a principal of a right. No, I grew up. I grew
1: up in High Park and Lake Forest. Lake Forest Lake on the West. North Shore's.
0: Yeah. So Lake Forest is what I meant. Lake Forest, yeah. and that's predominantly white. Yes. Okay. I wanted to recontext this so that people can really follow and trace your story. Right. So you grew up in Hyde Park, but you went to school in Lake Forest.
1: Yeah. So it was like half, I would, I say I grew up in both because it was half and half. So we live, I grew up in Hyde Park. We lived in Hyde Park until I was 13. And then we moved up to Lake Forest.
0: And your mom was a, a, a esteemed professional in the school system.
1: Yes, yes. So she she was a dean at Lake dean. Forest. Yes. Dean in Lake Forest. Yes, okay. She so was the dean of just... the private school.
0: Now, yes. but my and... mom
1: is actually, she was um by profet- she does have her PhD MD, but she chose to teach.
0: So my mom's a doctor. Yes. Wow. So she has her PhD. And, MD and an MD and she <laughs> chose to be a dean and so she she's in this predominant she's a dean of a predominantly white school in a yes. white area very uh astute well 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 yeah mm-hmm. you can
1: say like this is where the Chicago Bears live this is where I found Marshall Fills live so it's this a is really beautiful
0: this, north <laughs> right
1: beautiful north Chicago right straight up Uh, Right on the lake. And did you go there? Yes, I went to Lake Forest Academy. And it, it it's ironic because I actually got there before my mom did. My um I was there because I was I was accepted to the school. So I was going to be going to boarding school there. And my mom was up there. And because before that, my mom was teaching here in high park at Kimwood Academy. So she was teaching science and she took me up there for, it was a placement exam or something. I had already gotten in and the principal of the school saw my mom sitting there and she was grading papers. And she was like, what are you, you know, oh, she, they started having a conversation. My mom is like, oh, I'm grading my AP biology tape papers. So the AP biology teacher at Lake Forest Academy was retiring at that time. And they're like, oh my gosh, we're, we've been looking all over for an AP biology teacher. And so my mom was like, oh, really? My parents did not want to move to Lake Forest because they love like the diversity here in High Park and everything, friends, family. So, but the thing was, it was free tuition if my mom moved there or, and, yeah. And see my view uh, for, for me, and I had gone to, pri- had been going to private school all my life. I went to lab. So it's like, oh, let's think about and, this. She's right, gonna so going to be going to college.
0: Like and <laughs> were both your parents professionals, a uh, professional PhD? Uh, my mom was, my dad owned his own business. Your dad owned a business. Okay. Yes. Um, I wanted to context you because here you're telling us a story of going to Cape Cod. Right. Um, and the, the, uh, the privilege, the wealth and the privilege that your parents sounds like worked very hard for, um, for opportunities for their families. So I'm sure they have stories, but to give listeners, um, like what it, what kind of whiteness behaviors have you gotten because of that? Because of your education, because of your parents' education, because uh, I'm going to use the the stereotype here, because you sound white and and that's this kind of stuff. And I know this is stuff people say, and it makes me cringe, but to bring it up because you've had the experience of it, I can only imagine you don't go to these schools and be the only black student there or a, among a handful and not have lots of experiences of dealing with white. Oh, I ha-
1: I have tons. And that's one I was going to touch on with the experience in Cape Cod.
0: Yeah. You so, can go back to that. I just wanted yeah. to context. <laughs>
1: <you>. <laughs> so we're 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 at this, we're at the coach store. Um, and so the lady here, this white lady here is my mom and my aunt talking. And she comes up to them and she's like, oh my gosh, you all are so articulate. Like, are, are you all, are you all singers?
0: She does not.
1: Yeah. She came up to them and said, are you, she said, you're so articulate. Are you singers? And it, it, there, there was more like because I, she said, I know you don't work. Here. That was the other part. Like I know you don't work here, meaning I know you're not made for someone's home because you're basically too articulate. So you must be singers. And me, like me and my cousin, we're over looking at like purses and <laughs> and so it was. And it, <laughs> my mom was like no we're professors and that's it wow. and then to like just see my mom and my aunt they put down what they were holding and left the store they were like come on right on. and we're like why and then to like the hear the conversation with them before that and i want to go back to like something that you said about my parents working and their experiences. Um definitely my mom, more so because she grew up, her my grandfather was a physician. So she grew So people were like this whole, oh, first thing. No, I'm not the person in, in my family to go to college. Actually, the kind of the thing in my family is you come from a family where your ancestors were slaves and were able to get a college education so there's no excuse why you should not get a college education so like how that <laughs> it's like the whole thing where it's understood in my family that you're going to go to college what you need to decide after that is if you're going to go to a medical school law school or business school mm-hmm. it's a no brainer for anyone like because your ancestors who were slave slaves got college degrees. So, so it's this is how uh, it's
0: going to be. Th- this, this is, is how it's going to be. <laughs> th- this is household. a family
1: story in our household. But um, just to, you know, share a story of my mom's that I like really like that that's not okay. My mom went to school in Minnesota and she was the first and only Black person to go to her school her college. Now, she originally thought she was going to go to a historically black college, but at the last minute, her dad was like, no, you're going here because I donated money to have a library built on this campus. So you're like, really, my grandfather had the means to
0: donate to this camp. So she Your goes up. her grandfather who was the physician. Yes. Excellent. And, and, and what, uh, we'll come back to that. Keep going. Okay. So my mom
1: goes up there. Now, one of the things that happened, which where I'm like, I'm not, that's okay. My mom, long hair. When she got up there, the white girls, they cut her hair to a short bob because they wanted to see if it would grow back as fast as theirs. That's and awful. my mom tells this story it was like oh is that i'm like that's not okay and i didn't realize until like, like but that that was her like setting that was she had to deal with being the only black like yeah i was one of few because of the schools i went to but she was the only
3: -hmm.
2: And it was,
1: but again, it wasn't the like the white family. They took her in our home because she was away in their home because she was away from home and different things like that, being up there. But it was like, oh, we're going to cut your hair to see this. Like they used her like she was an experiment.
0: Yeah. I mean, what it sounds like is it's like a friend group that Mm -hmm. is acting like your friends right these white girls acting like your mom's friend and um and then doing this experiment but the experiment is her it's her body it's here and so you know some part of her can be like it wasn't so bad and she just kind of carried on um but in context as you're hearing it you're like oh my gosh the horror i'm curious what you went through, because you said you went to lab school, which mm-hmm. for those people that don't know, like this is an advanced, you know, high IB level. I don't have the right language for current mm-hmm. academia, but you could give us a better context. There are certain kind of elite schools um, at middle school level and then high school level, that which are like junior preps. Mm-hmm. And there are a handful of them in Chicago and they yes. are elite, tend to be white schools as we know. Um, but I have met young black, uh, academic students that have gotten into these different schools and Mm -hmm. the stories, I, I, of course, somewhat public, but I'm curious your experience of being in environments where, um, like you spoke about Hyde park is, and maybe you can talk about this. Hyde park has always been quite diverse because there's a university. And so there's a lot of, um, Historical white uh professionals that that are areas that also have a large history of being predominantly black places too. So there's this natural diversity and all these right. of things, but not necessarily when you go up to Forest Park, uh, Lake Forest.
1: Right. It's
0: it's too
1: conscious because I'd say definitely High Park and. I would say than any other place with in Chicago or Illinois for um that fact is a place. Well, I would say when I was growing up, it has changed significantly now. Was a place where, like you said, it was professionals of all backgrounds, like the mansions in the area. You had the, um, like the Johnsons who did Ebony and Jet. You had um, Muhammad Ali had a home here, like all of the different, um, the lesser. So prominent black families lived in High Park. Prominent, like, so it, it was that diversity with that. And for me, um, of the, what what the, and they're called the independent school. It's the, I think it's independent school league with, um, it's like Francis Parker, Lake Forest, LFA, it's in that group, Lab, Latin, um are all in that group and Kona. So of the entire group, I'm going to say a Lab is the one that's most diverse of the group and that was my experience from there and so it was the one that was most diverse and that was the only place where I also had teachers of color black teachers as opposed to any other school until I got to college wow and so so that so that's why like a lot but I was in the in what they call, so they have the lower school, middle school, the middle school and the high schools. So I went there for the lower school settings before we moved to um, Lake Forest. So, and then my, but my aunt went there for high school, one of my, because everyone in my family went to a private school. So my aunt, my mom's youngest sister went there for, to high school, but she had tons of friends of color. Black friends who like, and they're all still friends to stay that went there. Um the so with a lab, there I can't see there were really um instances that stood out to me, even like thinking of it now. Um there weren't really instances that stood out to me. They really came with my school setting when I went to Lake Forest, and they began in my freshman year mm. um, with my English teacher. We had to do we had to do a paper on Macbeth. Now I read Macbeth and wrote a paper on that when I was in eighth grade. So me, the student I am, I've have all I always kept my papers and recycled them because I'm like I did. So I'm like, oh, Macbeth. I knew about Macbeth. We read it in eighth grade because that's what I had to. We literally had to do a book report for my eighth grade English class every month on a book and different things. So I had a I had a paper on Macbeth. So. I just recycled that paper, it to it, different things. So my English teacher accused me of plagiarizing that paper. She said, there's no way that you could have written this paper. No. Yes, there's absolutely no. That, her name was Ann Guyard. There, and I have another story that because it was a husband watching, her husband did something that came a couple of years later, but those two were ugh, a thorn in my school, but she did. Um, she said, there's no way. And actually she said, there's no way in hell that you could have written this paper. Wow. And I'm like, and what you do did you that back in eighth grade? Yeah. And and I told her, I was like, I did write this paper. I wrote this paper in eighth grade. And I just added, like I read Macbeth in eighth grade and I had this paper I added to it and it and and this is my paper this is my right. she's like who wrote this paper for you I'm like I wrote this paper so she took me like to the dean's office it's like um it was the academic dean and it's like she's plagiarized this paper and then my mom's called it and it was like, no, that's her paper. They had to have my English teacher from eighth grade. My English teacher from eighth grade came all the way up to Lake Forest, brought every single paper I had written in eighth grade, all my work, and read. It. She was like, This is this, this is this girl's paper. Oh. She is a tremendous writer. She was like we covered Shakespeare, and she brought the books. Like she brought her lessons, everything that we had covered. She was like we covered all of this stuff in our Like she was in an in intense English class, and this is what she covered to vouch for me that this was my paper that I had written, and that was—I would say—that was my first very first soul-crushing mm. academic experience, experience was my freshman year of high school.
3: Mm.
1: I had never, ever had my intelligence, capable, I had never had it questioned until that
2: moment.
3: Mm.
2: And I just did,
1: I mean, I just did not understand because I was, I was such a student. I was so always so diligent about my work. I was so because I came from a family where education is so important. Education is like so key. So I was always, I was always an A, A plus student. I was always focused on my work. It was like if I I was that student, if I got uh 98, 99 on something, I'm in front of the teacher. How did I miss this? Like, what can I do for extra credit? what can I because like like in in law, our teacher would write when we would have tests, they were right on the name our names on the board. So I wanted my name to be like in the top. like all the things like that 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 was crushing it's like she said that I did not write this paper and I did and then her husband we hired again when another thing I had um I had taken um what they call early involvement math class so I had started taking accelerated math courses, um, before I got to high school. And when I wanted to take AP calculus, because there were no other math classes for me to take at school. And I was really, I loved math. That was my favorite subject. Right. I had maxed them out. So I signed up for AP calculus again, mind you, I had gotten, was in honors class, had gotten A's in all my courses. I was on the dean's list and all this. So I signed up for AP Calculus and he said he rejected me from the course because he said he felt I would be intimidated because the cl- the students in the class were really smart.
2: Wow. And that he
1: felt I would be intimidated. But I was in a Dean's list. There were no students. There were quite a few students who were enrolled in this course who weren't on a Dean's list. And three of them were five-year seniors. So I mean their parents, they had repeated freshmen, but that and that that was another thing. The only reason I got into that class is because Mrs. Hodgkins who was the um principal of the school at the time um she advocated for me she was like let her in that class like she has been dynamic in every course that she has taken like that i think kind of like my a lot of my whiteness horrors came at that school
0: <laughs> from i can only imagine i mean going up to this you know like the the way it's infused into the tonality like it's one Mm -hmm. thing like I'm hearing the horror of of being called a liar as a child you know not being believed for your great Mm -hmm. work not being seen not being heard and then being attacked I mean we're talking about layers of Mm -hmm. trauma to a child to a woman to a black woman to like name all the ways because what's Mm -hmm. not being said Right, but what's being felt and what's being transmitted, and that is this infused standard of whiteness and assumed. Black tropes around Mm -hmm. non-intelligence, incapability, Mm -hmm. and all of the things that it sounds like that your family generationally has stood for. Yes, stood. I I don't like to say stood against, but stood for. They stand for education. They stand for. No, we are not what you assume us to be Mm -hmm. from an old generational place. If if I'm hearing you correctly, and then Mm -hmm. to have that happen in early education, in your formative years of education, it sounds like to even get through it, to become Raquel that we're talking to right now, you had to hunker into survival mode and Mm -hmm. and prove extra, extra, like yeah, I'm going to extra, extra. And that Mm -hmm. itself becomes another Black stereotype put on to black women, which is you have to do extra just to be the same. And Mm -hmm. that's what I'm hearing in this. Yeah. It it was a, it was a lot of extra,
1: extra, extra. It was a lot of extra. And I think it was another instance when it came to the, um, our the college selection process, mm. and um, my my aunt that I spoke about that when we were during our summer our summers on the East Coast, like every every summer it wasn't like fun oh. summer. <laughs> it, it was fun summer, but it was like okay, so your summer. This is what we'll go to the East Coast. So not only did I go to um, like the top private schools here, but then my summers when we were out there, I went to Phillips Academy. So that's like one of the top, top private schools in Mm -hmm. the world. But I went there for an intense science and math program. So during those summers, I was always taking whatever math and science courses that I would be taking in the upcoming year. So that that's how part of the summer was. Yeah, getting ahead because that's how my my family is like. You're not about to sit around. (laughs) So it was like you always do something um, academic. You do something artsy. So the arts was like creative writing because I love writing. My dance camps, and then like spending time with family because it's not about it's about not forgetting your roots and both my dad was from Tennessee my mom's um, family's from Mississippi both have a lot of land there so I would go back and spend some time with my grandmother there to like understand like your family worked hard to come up and um, <laughs> achieve different things but um, so my aunt when We were young when we would come back from the East Coast. We would do our road trip, we would stop at different college campuses. Now, our thing, me and my cousin, we love collecting the sweatshirts from the college, the different universities and college. So, before we got to high school, we had gone to visit all of the colleges on the East Coast. And then I knew about some of the colleges on the West Coast because my mom's sister, one of her sisters went to USC. So, and it was always, we had to write our list of colleges that we wanted to go to. And then we would write them and then we would tag them. And so we would take the times visiting them. And this was all before high school. So I knew about like all different colleges. So. When it came to like the college selection process and we had, um, there was one college counselor for all of Lake Forest Academy, because it was back then was a small school, the student body, entire student body was less than 300. So I went in with my list of colleges and she was like, oh, wow, these are like some heavy duty, impressive colleges. Like how, you know, what, what do you know about Harvard? And like, well, I have family went to Harvard. So I had like, like, all, I had connections to people we like, oh, well, what do you know about i And like, well, I know that. So I knew I had done my research and everything. She's like, well, I mean, these are really like pie in the high schools. I'm like, what the fuck do you mean? These are pie in the high schools. I'm like, I'm on the Dean's list. And I have like, excellent, <laughs> like, excellent, like, and this was before I took the SAT and all this. And like, I... I know, even though I have been going through my prep. And so Mm. she came out with these schools that I had not even heard of. Wow. Like saying, these would be better suited for you. Now, I knew. Yes.
0: Now, I mean, like even just the language, these right. would be better, be better suited, suited for, you. for you, and you could just put it in the white person. <laughs> right. Oh my you gosh! You <laughs> oh <my God. laughs> might really just do it. And you know? And because it's really important that we understand that mm-hmm. what's transmitted isn't what's said; no. it's what's meant. Yes, yes, and that is felt. That is a felt language that we all feel, but we don't. All speak to because black bodies have learned you're not allowed to speak to that no. historically. That's never been safe, so that's not what we do. And white bodies are conditioned to think that's normal, that that's mm-hmm. the quote standard. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Wow, keep going. Yeah, and the it, it and, suited uh, for you, right? And
1: that that was the thing. Like we we don't speak to, and it's like I think for a long time and i was raised like that whereas like you don't respond not only because it's an adult it's an elder but it's a white person so you don't respond but i'm like getting to this point where like, <laughs> and, you need to and respond.
0: right you need i need to, to respond now <laughs> and it's like um, but let's pause on that that somatically psychologically dna wise genetically there must be and and also what you've been told your parents if you don't if they're white you don't say something back Mm -hmm. and this is a historical landscape of families and people being murdered over and over and over again not in episode one episode over and over and over it's a learned embedded knowing, Mm -hmm. safety, right? So to to start saying something is an unlearning. You're unlearning, oh, I actually am going to say something now because I'm not going to let that tonality just pass. Right, right. And I think-
1: to say that with my family, especially on both sides of my family, mm. that was even more important because like is that both of both sides of my family. Mm. Um my grandparents, actually, before that, my grandparents and great grandparents had resources that most black people did not. So my family. Was terrorized because of that,
3: Mm.
1: because of the research before, because of them being, because of them having land, because of them having education,
0: being educated.
1: Mm -hmm. And even um, like my dad's family land, there's this tree, and I used to climb this tree when I was little that sits, it's on our family land but they would come there white people would come and lynch people on that tree
3: Mm.
1: outside of my family's home to really terrify them to get them to give up their land
3: Mm.
1: but my like family held strong and to this day unlike many black people both sides of my family still have their land they still and it's and it's important to us to keep that because of that reason but to like going back I how so that's why it's like really kind of like don't say anything hold your head down just work hard get your education because and the other thing they always said was that your education knowledge is one thing that they can't take, they can't take that away from you. They can't take that
0: away from you. So. It's this Generational wisdom. Is right. Passed down through your life. Exactly. And, and for listeners to really hear, you know, like what, what you're saying, right? Raquel here, mm-hmm. is the generational wealth and, and wisdom that's mm-hmm. passed down because of white terror. hmm so and, the necessity of how you exchange and what you learn is, is is the right thing and wrong thing to do isn't just a matter of, this is an elder, we listen to our elders, it's a matter mm-hmm. of white terror. Right. It's a matter of what historically white people have done to your family mm-hmm. because of the resources that. Had been accumulated through education, knowledge, and and hard ass labor, Mm -hmm. um, and to keep that generational wealth at a time when white people were then attacking black people, even after having to do it all on their own, even after Mm -hmm. all these things, it's such an important point to to focus on that that white people are coming onto your little family land. To right. terrorize them to try to get them off. And lots and lots of black families lost their land because mm-hmm. of white terror in this capacity.
1: Yes, yes, a lot, a lot. So um yeah, so that to this college counselor woman who I only met with once after <laughs> it was like that. So I had um my my colleges. And then when I went, and this was the, um, because you always met the end of junior year. So that's what we did. So then that summer between my junior and senior year, back on Cape Cod and back in the vineyard, (laughs) like we did every summer, that summer was spent. I did prep courses with SAT and ACT, but then I also had All of my colleges lined up. My parents said, you had to cut it down to 13. We're not paying these application fees for 50 colleges. (laughs) So they're like, you can cut it down to 13. So I had all of my applications completed, all my essays done for all 13 colleges that summer complete it. So when the first day of school came, I was ready to go. I walked in there that first week with my letter of recommendation request for my um, teachers. I actually had Three that I was having. So I walked in the first day, it was like, What, you write me my letter of recommendation for school? So all my schools, and I gave it all to them. I was the first student to have it. Wow. But my family's like, You go, you prep. So I was like, Well, they were like, Well, which one are you going to go to? I'm like, I'll go to the one I get into. <laughs> that was the thing. I'm thinking like wherever I get in. I got into all 13 of my schools. Wow. All 13. Um, and that's when it came up because at our school, like Forest Academy, when it came to the cut, we had this letter, what they call it news of the day, and they would put the student's name. When they were accepted to a school in the news of the day, and you're the advisor for the different advisories, would read read it out. And then it was also posted on the um, kind of school bulletin board in the main hallway for people to see. So I got into, and every school I got to were like top tier schools. I got into Harvard, into Yale, into Stanford. Brown, and Dartmouth, so five That's Ivy right. League schools, yeah, yeah. then, well, before Stanford is all um, Ivy League, and then I got into Duke, I did USC, and Tufts, because my aunts went there, um, I did Michigan, University of, no, Michigan State, Howard, Hampton, and Spelman, And I forgot the other So I got into all my schools. And then there were things like the students who were also in the dean's list and considered the smartest students in school. So we all applied to Harvard, Yale, and Duke. I was the only one who got into Duke. And I was the only one who got into Harvard. Wow. So then the things came down that I got into the schools because I was black and it was affirmative action.
0: This is what they're saying.
1: This is what they like, were what saying.
0: My, like the murmurs in the school.
1: The murmurs and the the murmurs in the school um, um and it was more so amongst like the students like those other elite students those other elite students and one it was like considered my friend and she we were sitting on a bench in the hallway and we we're like dude, she was like I didn't get into Duke because you got in and it I was like
0: We said that out loud yeah
1: she said it out loud like I didn't get into Duke because you got in No, I got into Duke because I have a higher GPA than you. But then on top of that, but they felt just even ones who had a higher GPA, they felt because they had a higher GPA. But on top of that, I did sports. I also had tons of community service within the school and outside of the school. So they looked at, which I understood at because I have a aunt who's a college counselor. They look at the overall, like I was able to maintain the dean's list over like a 4.5 GPA on a 4.0 scale while still doing a lot of other activities. Yeah, you can easily maintain a 4.5 GPA when all you're doing is school. Like you didn't have any of this other stuff to show. But I did this on top of extracurricular activities and also having excellent essay. Like Dartmouth even used my essay as an example for years of what an excellent college essay was supposed to well, look it like. Should look like.
0: Right. Let me show you a real <laughs> Yes. <laughs> Her name's <is> Raquel Harper. <laughs> so they they they
1: asked me if they could do that, if they could use my essay. I love it. In their, as, like this is what a college essay should look like, and it was like it. So that whole thing of it got to the point where sometimes I didn't want the announcements that I got into the school to be there. I I didn't want it, and but my advisor was like, "No, you worked hard for this," and then on top of that, I only missed one question on the SAT exam one question right. so it was genius to, it, it It was to fill that and I remember graduating and on our graduation day they had um they they list everyone's school and a program and newspaper and everything so a lot of the parents were coming up to me, like again, this is Lake Forest, and they're and some of them Harvard alum, Dartmouth alum, different things like that, um, Duke alum. So when it was decided that I was going to Duke, and one of the parents came up to and said to me, "Oh." Yeah, you know, I I I heard that you heard, heard um chose Duke over Harvard. You know, that that's probably a better place for you um anyway, because Harvard's very, very rigorous when it comes to academics.
0: Wow. The audacity. And and then the and then yeah,
1: and his thing, and that was like at that point, I was like, I don't give a fuck anymore. It's he he asked me why did you even apply to Harvard? I was like because my aunt went there for law school and graduated Magnum Sum um cum laude. So like, my aunt went to Harvard and graduated mm-hmm. close to the top yeah, of the and, class.
0: And, you know, and pointing out the fact that you know he would never do that to anybody else's right. child. No, you know, and that the only reason that they're doing this to you is 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 this again built in. Associative tropes of what blackness is supposed to look like, and you don't meet that standard no matter how mm-hmm. hard you work. And so it's like, as you outperform, it's never enough. You know, I think that's where, like, it, I want to, I feel metallic in my in mouth, like, I want to just mm-hmm. throw up, like, and I, I just want to say, I'm so sorry. Yeah, you don't approach someone ch- like, I didn't even, I don't even,
1: I don't even know whose parent it was. Like, how do you, Mm -hmm.
0: so sorry you experienced this Mm -hmm. to work so hard and to not be seen right right Mm -hmm. there.
1: Mm
0: -hmm. Um, And I was just ready
1: to get out. I was ready to get out. And then when I think, like I said, my mom being a lifetime trustee and dean at that school, um, she's still actively involved in that school, but her thing was like she wanted the other from my experience she wanted the black kids there to have a face that would basically that they that they could go to like a face that would vouch for them because she realized that i really didn't have that she was there and she was my mom but Also, by being my mom, her hands were tied to an extent.
0: Probably more Mm -hmm. so because she Mm -hmm. had to look extra, extra that she wasn't bending something on her behalf. Right, exactly. Even if you were being violated as a Mm -hmm. a human, you know, because of, of... you know, whiteness abound, she probably had to work extra hard to not tend to you because of the association as your daughter, as her daughter. Ex- Exactly. And like I said, Which she- is An added violation because it's just, it's just goes back to the extra thing. It, it, it is. And like I
1: said, she taught, um, AP biology, but I wasn't allowed to take AP biology. Even that was like the last science that was available for me to take, but I wasn't she allowed was to take it? because she was the teacher and they didn't think that she would be fair. Now there were other white teachers was, who had white students
0: Yeah. the case?
1: Yeah, who had um their who had their um kids there. Um like one, for instance, um, well, he wasn't he was um. Or is he? Um, but Mr. Perez, he had two students. He had two um, two children there, and both of them were allowed to take AP Spanish with him.
0: Yeah, I mean, what this kind of stuff reminds me of is when the system is built on a white supremacist lens, mm-hmm. that everything goes back to standards of achievement that's from a colonialistic imperialistic uh, dominator system model mm-hmm. and so we can have family legacies that have built and created prominence over time but it's still within a system that's having a standard of conformity that mm-hmm. goes back to your original statement which is conformity that that are standards that white people set like to dismantle that systems means you go back to the very systems that helped us thrive. Mm -hmm. And yet in other ways, it kept us deprived. Yes. I I kind of hear both in your storytelling. It's kind of like on one hand, we we are a people of resources and I need to be proud. And within that, there are so many normalities of standards of whiteness that we've had to go along with Mm -hmm. that are just infused, not just you personally, but to me, this is kind of the dichotomy of culture. Like, What happens Mm -hmm. when the very systems that helped us thrive are the predatory systems that um, are actually robbing us of our ability to really live today because Mm -hmm. we're still muted, because Mm -hmm. we're still um, not saying the thing that's in plain sight. You can feel it, but we can't say it because we're working within a system where, oh, our job might be compromised, or I can't say that because then this might happen and I won't get this promotion, or we can't say this because then this is going to happen. So we operate within these dominator systems that on some level is muting our capacity to fully live because that's what these... That's what this system, these systems are built like these standards. If the standard is the conformity of whiteness, then we know it's built into white supremacy and it's not inclusive, it's extractive.
1: Yes, yes. And, and oh gosh, what you said about the muteness and being mute and, but then being deprived, but how it helped us to strive. Because when I, I, I look at um LFA. I definitely um I'm grateful for that experience.
0: LFA is Lake Forest Academy. Yes. Yeah, sorry. Know. Lake Forest. <laughs> <going> on, <laughs> right. yeah.
1: I'm grateful for that experience because it taught me to truly advocate for myself. And it taught me to. It gave me, it gave me a motivation. It gave me a push, maybe not necessarily in a healthy way, because I, it got to a point where I wasn't doing it for myself. I was doing it to prove to these people, I'm like, you did not believe that I could be it Duke you did not believe that I could do that like you did not believe in me so you know what fuck you I'm going to show you Mm -hmm. so a lot of my education following that was
2: to prove to LFA
1: like I can do this I can smart, so it got me to a point where I started, it was, I already know that I'm smart, but I felt that I had to prove it to them, that I really had to prove it, that I had to prove to them, like, no, I, I deserve to get into Duke, I deserve to, so that, So a period of my life was like that. But then I also got to the point where I learned to advocate and speak up for myself and find that voice in that way Um, to, to an extent of where I was in a place where I really just, I, st- I I I stop trusting white people. I stopped trust. I stop trusting white people because of what happened in those four years. And then I I always tell people, <laughs> my thing is like I'm like, LA, um, Lake Forest people and no Lake Forest white people and. Chicago, High Park, white people are completely different breed. Different people. And I I mean, I can say because I've been in so many different um, arenas of quote unquote whiteness. I'm like, those like forest people are completely different breed than what I grew up to like those are what you know we call the sleep white people and those kind of the woke white people
0: <laughs> sleep <laughs> sleep and, and the, the the sleep. The sleep white people. Oh my god, that's so funny. <laughs> Hold on, sleep white people. <laughs> like I just like catch they're, it. Little old.
1: They're still sleeping and these are woke white people. Oh, that's so, so funny. <laughs> and then
0: the woke white people are. Right.
1: It's like they're, like they're still, still living in like the house and like the horse and carriage stage.
0: Like, <laughs> in terms of their assumptive language, right. exchange, the and, way they're interacting, the kind mm-hmm. of like the deeply ingrained um offenses that are just yes. spoken that are that, that that are minimizing abusive violating when it comes right. to your intelligence also that black people aren't a mono monolith that the, you mm-hmm. know not all black people are the same going mm-hmm. back to your story around um the department clerk you know assuming that your shades the same
1: um, right. these types
0: of things where black people are put into this lump of black people and yet you know by calling white people white people, um one of the immediate responses is obviously like hey, we're not all the same. Well of course we're not fucking the same. No people right. are the same. Black people right. have felt like that for decades, centuries. Like yeah. you don't get to just put all black people into a bucket and clean. And that's gotta be extra frustrating when 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 we're talking about social classes that can have massive differentials, just Different. like in any one of right, us, like, you know, right. you can come from an economic status, be white, but low economic status. You could be high economic, you know, all of the ranges. And in your case, you have generational wealth and and professionals and academics. And we're talking mm-hmm. about, you know, institutional built in family legacies mm-hmm. of of wealth building and and civics where you're building where your family built into the communities whether it's the they professionals and then they are serving their own communities mm-hmm. and a growing um prominence a lot of white people don't have a proper lens of people as humans because they're unconsciously right. putting black people into a bucket of all black people you're just like this yeah, they, they,
1: they. Um, and I don't want to say "day." I hate that word. But I, I think, white people. yeah, white, white
0: people. <laughs> it's a and, new language practice because we're not used to it. But it's a part of breaking the the falsity of comparing everything to whiteness because it's actually just another group of people that have standards and, and ways of doing things that haven't been identified properly. And it's, and I think because of my
1: upbringing. I understand like they're the, the difference from, like I said, growing up in Hyde Park
0: of types I, of white people, you know? of <laughs>
1: types of, and actually, actually all right. Like I, I have a photo of, I was going through photos the other day, but pictures of all of my birthday parties growing up before I got to Lake Horace and one of my friends was looking at him, one of my black friends, and she was like, okay, your birthdays were like the rainbow coalition. Like, but it, it was, it was normal to, it was normal to me. And even with some of my cousins, when they would come up and they would see my friends and they're like, wait, just, a, I, I never forget. One of my cousins was visiting for Tennessee and my best friend growing up, her name was Rosanna, Rosanna Orville. And she was white, blonde hair, blue eyes. And so we're dropping it. Like we had all got, my mom had taken us somewhere and she's dropping Rosanna off at her, um, her house. And she gets out of the car and my cousin, we were all probably about hmm, 11, 10 or 11. My cousin was like, oh my God, she has has a shape for a white girl. Like she has a butt and hips for a white girl. And like, what are you talking about? (laughs) And it was was just like, she was like, white people aren't shaped like that. I'm like, what do you, what do you mean they're not shaped like that? But that's Goodness. my friends, my friends are shaped like that. And so it was just, just, so seeing it on both sides and I have seen it on both sides. Um, and just kind of understand with my upbringing and especially when people like with, you doing like the whiteness and people were saying, oh, um, when people want to have conversations, um, especially with, um, black people about their experiences or things that may trigger black people responses, like, because of my upbringing and background, what trigger someone else may not trigger me like how you said about putting in the assumption it's like like for instance the movie the help which my family had issues with seeing that and then my mother aunts they're like oh because you know that's how people you know black people there were servants and things and then my family's like, that may have been case with most families, but our family wasn't the help. So we can't, the, there are things that we can't relate to because that's, that, that, that wasn't our family.
0: Well, was your family so prominent that they had help? Yeah. So they had, they had hired help and was mm-hmm. their hired help black people of a different economic stature or was it a different group of, of. Was it Black people that was their help?
1: It was, it was Black. And then we also had um, Spanish
0: people. Okay, because yes, I guess this is a, a, the complexity that we all are learning mm-hmm. when we start to talk about the predatory patterns in, in culture and in history mm-hmm. is that we are interwebbed in the economic mm-hmm. and social hierarchy and cultural hierarchy and racial demographics of all these webs of experiences Mm -hmm. that coagulate into our lived legacy and Mm -hmm. personal experience and so it's so interesting to hear what you're saying because on one hand your family comes is prominent they've earned prominence and hard work and and built their family legacy and instill values in their children you have mm-hmm. to get educated in these particular ways because this is how legacy is built. This is where we come from. Right. And it passes on certain generational principles, right? right. But yes. a lot of times those principles are from historical trauma responses mm-hmm. and the way that we pass on um, dominator culture values, yes. even when we might be on the low, like in your, in case your family, they weren't help but they had hired help Mm -hmm. and hopefully they were better treated than white families Mm -hmm. would have treated them because they're black and they understand that all the things, but we don't know the historical context of all of our own families. But I'm just saying there's complexity here. There's layers in which we don't relate because we were the role of the dominator in Mm -hmm. that scenario. And that's Mm -hmm. harder for us to see. Hmm. Yes. Yes. It.
1: It is, and it's. I. I. Oh, another assumption just popped into my head, which I saw like like Forest Academy is the gift that just kept on giving. <laughs>
0: I assume that a lot of the racial terror that you experience are things that were so embedded into culture that they aren't distinct memories. They're violations. Your body holds, which wants wants me to come back to when you said when you had this realization that overall you don't trust white people. To me, I felt that in my body, Raquel. Like, mm-hmm. Now that is resonant for what I feel from you mm-hmm. because how can you survive what you've survived achieved at the level you've achieved without landing on that within the institutions and the, the whitewashing that you have had to endure and then still went above and beyond it. And then still had to endure that realness of like, I landed on. I don't. I don't. I'm in this phase of my life, whatever that phase was. Uh, mm-hmm. Overall, everywhere I turn, I'm realizing I don't trust white people. Right, and
1: it's. And I wouldn't say everywhere I I turn, it was kind of. It it's more of
2: that kind of because for
1: me it's that distinction and like i said before it's really what i have learned through these experiences is okay how how can i say that? truly understanding the the white people i can trust and the ones that that i can genuinely trust that they're truly authentic and then the ones who aren't and I say that because throughout my life I had the ones um the white people who were that was that violation then the on the other hand the white people who were my advocates my big and I my biggest advocates in a sense and I'm saying advocates specifically, as opposed to saviors, because when they jump in, when my people jump into savior mode, Mm. those are the ones that I felt like, okay, I can't trust them.
0: What's the (laughs) line you notice that flips when someone goes from advocacy into savior mode? Do you have a sense of that?
1: Yes, where the say the savior mode is when it's putting me in a place of victimhood where it's saying that, basically, I can't handle it. So they feel that they have to save me as opposed to an advocate is she has the capability,
2: to do this like she can
0: do this as opposed to oh I had to help her like do yeah, this jumping in you wouldn't have gone right it, me. it reminds me of the teacher that came and advocated for you when they were saying you plagiarized. yes I guess right. what bothers me of even having to put that person in the posture of advocate is that um for her to even have to do that is built yes. within that this dominator system that assumes white superiority over your blackness, over mm-hmm. your intelligence, mm-hmm. over your everything. And so now you have to call in a credible teacher from your past who, yay, happens to be to white, be white. So he's extra right. credible because if they were white, then we would have had another. But and also, your parents were academics. Your mom's mm-hmm. an academic. Your father's a business astute individual. And I'm saying these things because as parents, they knew how to advocate for you. Mm-hmm. So. Advocacy has, has been built into the legacy of getting to where any of y'all have ever gotten in all of the prominent positions you've earned. Right. But it still pisses me off that that has even happened in which you have to distinguish, wow, okay, an advocate's okay. Well, is it? I, I appreciate the distinction. Don't mm-hmm. get me wrong. Advocacy and saviorism. But then it it's still horrible that you that- have to then say, yeah, this person was my advocate. Yeah, but within a dominator system that they can't call out.
1: Right, right. Or
0: they're not willing to because it could mess up their position.
1: Mm
0: -hmm. And yet it shouldn't be happening to a young student who's a Black woman who's obviously kicking everybody's ass in all forms of intelligence. And because it doesn't fit this white model of standard, what it should look like you're having to prove extra and then use that as fuel to propel the rest of your life and while I'm glad it was great fuel and you turned lemons into lemonade and all the great sayings that come (laughs) (laughs) what I want to say is you don't have to do that because you're Mm -hmm. enough you're Mm -hmm. just enough and it pisses me off it 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 does
1: it pisses it that it's you have
0: enough you're brilliant you're a that,
1: genius. Thank you. That I have to, like you said, the it that advocate has mm-hmm. to be someone who doesn't look like you
2: for it to matter. Matter. Mm. For it to matter.
3: Mm-hmm.
0: There's a seething quality in this like a seething in my belly around like the levels to which you've gone to mm-hmm. show a system that's never going to see you for who you are mm-hmm. and and i love the conversation that's happening now uh, that that these are the the layered armors put onto black women Yes, and it's
1: it's definitely because like then the other side of that is we have like you said that armor, we have to show up with that armor because if there's a crack in our armor, if we
2: have a meltdown,
1: then we're there's the extreme, we're shown as the angry. Black female were shown as um, crazy and stable, um, and we just can't handle things. Like for instance, there, um, you know, given that we we were both in the container of the school of Emily Arts, where we were taught all these various tools, and one of them just how using it like of how we may go into a rupture. And there are certain points where I felt that it was really it was safe for white women to have that full rupture, but a black woman it was not safe. And there is an instance not too long ago during covid a group of us started these, um, what we call, um these moon ceremonies, atonement ceremonies around racism. And we were, um, a group of us were going to start this project based on it. And then there were, um, based on my conditioning of being from a early age, like you don't ask for help or like we've each had to come up with $30,000 to like do this project. So it's like, okay, I don't randomly have $30,000. It's just me. I'm a single. The other ones were married, wealthy husbands. And I can't, you know, easily come up with $30,000. And even though, like, my family have the resources, it's, it's why do you, like, justify it? Like, <laughs> things like that. Oh, that
0: there's going to be a discussion. Uh, or, right,
1: exactly. <laughs> like, you, know, you know, I'm not going right. to, Here, <laughs> let me just sell you $30,000 right here on the spot, <laughs> and, that's and, that's and that's it's not it going it to happen. So, um. I remember I had, because there was just like a breakdown of me feeling like, man, like there are so many places where what it brought up for me is like, as a black woman, I can't easily look in my cell phone and pinpoint Oh, I can ask this person for this money. This person would be like my family, where my where they would easily give it to me like that. I right. and then it that and not only so that made me think about like man, we as people really don't have resources like as a collective people. Um, so it made me feel that, and then there I had this huge, huge. Rupture, and it was so that I cried hysterically
2: in a container of
1: women where I exp- like express this, and that like, and I felt that cry was like so cleansing, and I needed to get that out. Mm-hmm. And so then literally after that, the next day, two, day, like two days, like I had the full amount, the full $30,000, boom, like that. So I'm like, hey, you mean from God
0: in, oh, you're just saying from within your own circle. Yeah. From with my, on my, within my own circle. Not from the women. Not I'm from the women. Okay, okay, No,
1: from, from my family. Within got it. like that so the circle was like the women who I was doing this project with um and so I put the I put the money in the account again my full 30 because each what was it each quarter we were supposed to each put in ten thousand dollars or something. No, we had a $40,000. So I had my full 40 and then each quarter we had to each put in 10,000. So I had my money in there. So then when I was like, Hey, I got the money. I put it, we're all set. They came back to me and said, well, we made the decision that maybe you should not be involved." because maybe it would be too much for you. Like you had like you had this mental breakdown and what really got me is they went back and recited all these different things I said in my breakout where we were taught like this is a container where we're supposed to be able to let it go. And then it's wash
0: clean. It's not weaponized against you or and your that character was, or your or being later on, as if that is representative of who you are in all of the areas of excellence and prominence and 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 brilliance in your life this is a just to give you perspective folks this is a safe container where you're supposed to be able to practice these particular tools of emotional Mm -hmm. expression and other things that are decided upon within the sacred space or the safe space and that whatever is released in this space is held in in
1: confidentiality,
0: but also in understanding that that's a moment in time of emotions that the rest of society doesn't necessarily support our healthy Mm -hmm. release. And so what I hear you saying is that this list is, is generated of you of why you shouldn't be a part of this exclusive project or whatever that you had to invest X amount in. And your rupture and what came out of you during your rupture time is what was listed on that list. Yes. I am disgusted.
1: But it was around that it came out as
0: this, like we're doing this to benefit you. To help you. Mm-hmm. Which is extra. It's like putting a dagger in and then scooping turning it around inside it's so normalized white womanness. ness mm-hmm. that's all I can say
2: there yeah wow yeah
1: that I mean that was a dagger in the heart more so because it was in a setting where I thought like This is a setting that we all came through where we were taught as women to like, just be authentic, that our sisters could hold space for our ugliest moments. Like, and I only felt like in like this specific container, it was okay for me to be messy even if i didn't feel okay in any other container within my life this container was a container that i was supposed to feel like i could like just let it all out and i did and then it was turned around where it's okay we can hold space for ruptures and you're allowed to have rupture. But the moment that I have this rupture and and it, it was a big deal for me because I'm a secret. I'm not the person who is regularly spilling ruptures or regularly spilling my business on social media or anything like this. Or And that's not me.
0: Well and you said it was a major breakthrough after mm-hmm. this. Yes. Was this huge opening in which right. the, you you created a, a receivership for the monies needed and Right. You know, which what we principle is that it's when we release right. these exactly. emotions that we're not, quote, allowed or safe to feel when we create safe containers to feel those new openings happening in our life. So I'm hearing you go through this path only to be met by non-safety and not just non-safety, but weaponized your, yes. your expression weaponized against yes. you as if it's for your benefit. hmm. I also wanna speak to, this sounds like a very specific experience that was a pinnacle moment of awareness for you in relation to these particular people and maybe maybe a larger context, but I'm curious um, if that is more normal than not in your experience with white people, that this is where that fundamental of not trust is. Is like, that was just a reminder of like, yeah, this is the way it they are.
1: Um, no, no, I, I wouldn't, I wouldn't say that's more, that's normal for me. Um, the reason why is because <laughs>
2: that that was not because I, I really,
1: um, I don't think I've really had that deep of a rupture,
2: where I've had that many um, ruptures like that.
1: Where so I can't say that's a, that's not that's not a normal thing for me.
0: Well, I think the experience you shared is clear that this is not a normal (laughs) space where you feel ever safe to unleash. And and so you made that clear in that expression of telling the story. I I think what I'm getting at is the feeling you were left with when this person is coming back saying, actually, we we were thinking that this might not be right for you. There's built-in assumptions about you.
1: Yes, yes. And no, it's
0: that, whether that hit a level of normality in you that says this is what white people do.
1: Yes, make make the make the assumptions. Yes.
0: Of what's on your behalf and, mm-hmm. and what you're capable of. And 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 I don't know what the other bullet points was were, but that's what I was feeling like. Mm-hmm. Or
1: based on their experiences with other black people or black women or that.
0: that's what they're saying to you mm-hmm.
1: but it wasn't in that instance but um I can see in that particular instance it wasn't it wasn't based on those experience but um I can see like the assumptions where, Like we said, like I said previously, where um, white people will make um, an assumption about me or another black person of what we can based on their experiences with other. Black people.
0: Which is a very limited experience. Right. Exactly. Black person or someone on TV, and then throwing those assumptions to you, which being from a learned experience, that's got to be extra frustrating because one of the things we know white people spew out is this assumption that Black people aren't intelligent. When there's mm-hmm. long legacies of entire families of some of the, you know, the the most, most historical of- aristocratic and intelligent academic. I mean, you could go on and on. Some of the best history I get is from Black intellectuals. Yeah,
1: which is one of my major, um, oh, my God, one of my major triggers. Where it's like the, like, a little shock for white people. They're like, oh, you went t- oh my god you're so articulate oh my god you're so well spoken oh oh you you went to that school. oh you must be really smart and it, it, so it's there not they just, are. it's like
0: there it you is. must be really smart can i just punch you now <laughs> right, right so those that i would say more so than anything,
1: the, that makes my skin crawl, that more than like any, I can do it over, but when the, when people express shock about my intelligence, that is my number one trigger. And I know that has to be tied with like a family upbringing, some like generational ties in there. That's my number well, and one And how about having trigger? to perform
0: for white yes. people in all levels of, of every ounce of your education, because you're not just learning for the sake of learning. You're learning for the sake of learning and not being one of those black people.
3: Mm-hmm.
0: And it's a different standard of blackness. It's trying to meet to a it's it's so built into colorism, right? In the sense of the way social hierarchies have been formed to not be in categories so that new stratospheres were created in right. and because this is how social order has has grown. It's gotta make your skin crawl on so many levels.
2: Because it's not just
0: marking, questioning your intelligence, Raquel. It's also, mm-hmm. it added to your voice, inflection. Uh, it's assuming, um, accept, you know, surprise of accessibility, mm-hmm. surprise of being able to, oh, you could take up space in those arenas. Like it's so compacted with built-in, um, you know, racist undertones. Yes, yes. And um, I can... Without calling that that. And that's you know? what it is. And it's...
1: It, it, uh, so back in 2020, my grandmother passed away. On your um, side? On, yes. And this was this was right before um COVID hit. She passed away February 2nd, 2020. So 2220. Um, and we were going through things and we found my grandfather's journal.
0: And he's the physician.
1: Yes, he was the physician. It was his journal from 1947. Wow. That she had still so my grand it. And going through what my mom, my grandmother kept, and I just saw the excellence in my family from all these things that she kept. But there's this excerpt that my um, grandfather wrote in his journal. He wrote, right? daily um, daily excerpts and this was his journal that he had when he was in Japan he was serving in the army he was being a physician in the army and they were it was during the war and one of the days he wrote that one of the white officers wrote because my grandfather is only Black physician, but the Negro physician, that's what he wrote in his journal at that time that was serving there. So he was basically saving their lives when they would come. And the words he wrote saying that, one of the officers said to him, like, you must be a smart Negro to be here. And this was one of the officers who he was working on, patching up. And he talked about, and I think he was like, one day I'm really looking forward to where we won't be considered, like, the exception. We won't, like... It won't be a shock that we belong. And so just reading that almost three years ago and saying, like, you know, it's still, no, we're still kind of dealing with the same shit. Same. We're still kind of dealing with the same shit. And here, this was 1947 that he wrote this. And when I sat and I was sitting there and reading that, and like, we are still dealing with the same
0: shit. Because you cannot prove your worth or your value within a system that doesn't declare your your value. And mm-hmm. this is where the built-in assumption, the wrong assumption of white supremacy, going back to how we started this episode, you know, we live in a white world. Mm-hmm. That's what you said. and. Making that not the standard is how we begin to break down some of these institutionalized behaviors and crystallized thought forms and, um, you know, built in systems that make us perform to prove ourselves over and over again, even though it's never necessary. Yeah. You and your family represent why it has had been necessary, why it's always been necessary. And um and how whiteness does that whiteness necessitates that level of, of traumatic uh, performance based earning of value, even though you mm-hmm. can't ever earn your way out of black skin. And why would you no. want to? No. Why would you no. even want to? And so this is where we're breaking up the original assumption of what are we comparing to? Mm-hmm. It's not easy because it's everywhere when you have family legacies built on the academia that these institutions are built on, Mm -hmm. how do you break it apart? Where do we even begin? You know, except by talking about the complexity of, of the enmeshment, you know, of the internal ties and and violations.
2: Yeah.
0: Yeah.
1: That's, I don't know. I think about the the vi- the violations, it's, like you said, the the violations, and um, and because I think like, and I know one of the um, other things that um, that we were raised to like we were raised in gratitude, and I do have tremendous amount of gratitude for um my ancestors, my elders were paving the way for me. And it was always when I look at these different moments that have occurred, like they all went through. So I wouldn't have to. So like the Extensive trauma, it's mean. the, the, yeah, like they went through, so I wouldn't have to, in uh, but in theory, yeah. but there was still like, there's still been a level that I've had to deal with.
0: Yeah, and still do. And sure. yeah, and still do. Current day, current day living. I, I don't mm-hmm. see how the systems have changed that much. The academic institutions, the Especially the elite institutions. I mean, everything you've navigated, yes. those systems are very much operating in the same imperialistic, extractive, dominator, white supremacist fashion as always.
1: Mm-hmm. Just mm-hmm. with a
0: lot more black people, alma maters.
1: Right, right. And I and I do and like and I think probably another um thing that I am grateful for is. I've been in so many different settings that I've seen it in so on so many different levels. Um, I think like we mentioned, like I've seen it
2: overtly, like just in your face. And then the like covert.
1: I'm about yeah, about the whiteness, right? It's 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 a, like a,
0: hidden. Yeah.
1: Yes, where it's like, oh no, I'm not raised, I don't like, oh, oh no, not me. Oh, oh my gosh, I'm gonna die. You call me a racist, <laughs> how, how did you find like a And then, then your turn wrong, so I'm like, oh. <laughs> so and and so I've and so I think that's what has really been able to help me to be able to
2: um, really I don't,
1: maneuver and kind of just exist in so many different settings.
2: And I truly
1: understand. And I would say definitely the shocking ones and the most hurtful ones are in the settings where it's put on a lens of a spiritual setting where we're trying to heal everyone and do this. And we're trying to... um, make the world a better place and you know i come from a family of very spiritual people i grew up in hoodoo and voodoo like we my family is so connected to the earth and you know people don't know a lot of the healing and like quote unquote new age healing things that people are doing that came from africa but now you're trying to make it popular when we that's how we survived.
0: When your people were right killing uh, our kids and killing yes, us and, off. And all that and that now you that, want to turn around and extract it and monetize it and tell us that you're here to help right. us and it's and, safe for us. And it's safer and all that. Like the whole um plant
1: medicine medicine ayahuasca um it. the other one, I bullet, where they're literally going and getting plant medicine from South America and Africa to like, oh, it's supposed to be really healing. But now what are they doing? So they're having these $10,000 retreats to price.
0: At all sorts of levels. About, right? Yes. A facilitating ceremony. This whiteness and wellness, Ra- Raquel, you're bringing up, you're, <laughs> saying, you're saying, you know, you've The summation I just heard you say Mm -hmm. is that you you feel grateful enough to have been in all these different Mm -hmm. types of social circles at academic levels and all these different Mm -hmm. types of community organizing and just different levels of experiencing the differences that white people re-show up in whiteness Mm -hmm. behaviors and that one of the worst and violating experiences that you're pointing out is when this whiteness is, is caged within the category of of healing and spirituality, mm-hmm. and using ancient wisdom, body centered, somatic, right. right, sexual, primal words like this are used. Sovereignty, um, coming back to nature, mm-hmm. and when you're using that type of terminology, um, but there's an assumed whiteness that's all in there, as if. As if that's newfound wisdom. I think that's what's killing me the most Mm -hmm. is that white people are presenting this as if it's newfound wisdom that we have to get back to our body and back to our sexuality and back to our. Mm -hmm. When white people are the ones who made indigenous and aboriginal bodies wrong for being connected to the land and the spirits and their language and sound current and and and, so right. it, it's the added violation around like wow you are now turning around selling our own stuff back to us in which you've raped and tortured us for years that we haven't been allowed to speak our language and now you're making your names our language. Hmm. 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 Yeah.
1: It's. And I. Um, yeah. That's what. It's exhausting. (laughs) It it's it's very, very exhausting. Very exhausting. It's it's very exhausting. Because like um I've lived in those two different worlds where I'm like in the city. So I'm used to that. But then like I said, with my family having a land and it was me, it's like, you need to know how to survive on the land and um an
0: indigenous roots huh
1: yeah it's really like really and I truly under since I didn't grow up down south but um going down there for with family and everything just truly under like uh, thinking it was so awesome how my dad could look up to the sky and tell what time yeah. it was
0: right natural cycles and it, it says
1: it's it's and then to like feel the difference of like grounding where now what are we we're all being earthing, taught to ground and earthy and everything take your but shoes shoes off off and, walk on the ground but, as if this now, is found science exactly but now it's like okay so when you go south and you see Oh, all the indigenous people, black people walking around with no shoes on. Oh, you're, you're, they're so barbaric. They're on, unca- you know, just the, Like we talked about the core. Now everyone wanting waist beads and everything. Do you, do you truly know the meaning of waist beads? Do you truly, do you understand? Like every, it's not just acute adornment. Like everything has.
0: Right, the or main, braids in the, the hair, braids, as you had mentioned, braids, whether it's yes. cornrows or anything. The braids, and you know the 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 extreme violation that that white people aren't realizing that they're doing. Yes, um, and I'm I'm seeing it and realizing just how it's a form of of such disconnection and white centering that that puts white people at the center of every story, mm-hmm. and it it's so. It's so mind blowing to me because I'm only just starting to see it, you know, when you just start <laughs> the season where of course you've been seeing it always the way that then it's remarketed and then it's acceptable now that it's a white person or it's, it's offered. I mean, but this has happened throughout time, whether it's been with the blues or with jazz or oh with, yeah. With yeah, music, right? Food, music. Adornment, All that. adornment, hair. and the amount of black women. You know, I don't think people really even know the extent to the laws that have gone into place to prevent black women from just having their hair the way their hair is, right? Right, right. That
1: have and then now, because what is the um, oh, black women uh, straighten their hair with the relaxers, and now they're. Out that those
0: are cancer forming. Yeah, I mean, we knew that decades ago. Uh, so you know, it's, like, it's kind of like but, that, the stuff in our food. But it is, it's horrible because these things have been absolutely marketed um, over to, the years as standards <laughs> of beauty that are a necessity. And there's laws in which have been in place that black women wouldn't be able to work unless their hair, the pencil test, all sorts mm-hmm. of things that historically. Have been whitewashed out of history, so we don't know they exist, and yet black bodies and black women have had to deal with this over and over again. Um, Yeah, and then watch it be sold to you and normalized once white people want it.
3: Mm
0: -hmm. Mm -hmm. Oh yeah, like because
1: what there's some some cream now. Oh, you can get a bigger butt with this cream, and so now people are using the cream and now it's like a big, huge, I can't even think of the company or not, but hey, grow your body. <laughs> so all, all of these things that now people are making money off of too.
0: Yes. Back to reach standards of beauty that mm-hmm. historically have been, you know, used against the Black woman's body. Right. You know, so while it's used against, it's also extracted as the most um objectified, you know, mm-hmm. the most objectified and the least valued. Yes. Yes. Simultaneously. It feels like a collective cultural gaslighting, you know, and then it's over and over and over again. Like the retraumatization is real. It uh, is when I hear these statements like listen to black women, listen to indigenous women, like. They move from statements that just are like, yeah, that that sounds good. That makes sense to like, yeah, of course we listen to Black Indigenous women because who else have been dealing with this year after year, decade after decade, century after century, rebuilding mm-hmm. the family, rebuilding community, rebuilding their bodies, refinding their voice, you know, re, re, re-upping- right. So that statement is no longer this light, nice, slogan-y statement to me. It's kind of like the gravity of it is landing. And yet barely. Barely. (laughs) (laughs) You've brought up a lot today, and I want to say thank you. I know that. um, Yeah,
1: this is like. And it's interesting when to like
0: the path, like, because
1: I, I had like, oh, we will talk about this and this and this. And it's, yeah, it's, um, it's also kind of helped me to just really see how I have grown in navigating the role that I have been a part of and grew up in. And then also, even with, um, like I said, a lot, a lot of times something may be happening and it may not click right then and there, but then when I'm sit with it or on downline or something else may occur I'd be like, wait, but, that time back then was another instance. So, and I think, and I think that happens when we went to, when I've gotten myself to a place of like because I may be so used to it that I put on blinders.
0: And being a professional academic, for lack of a better <laughs> word, when one gets really good at research and performing in the rare realms of academics, no matter what ethnicity or background we come from when one performs in that arena we get really good at summarizing the meaning of something you know mm-hmm. and so we can take an entire experience and whether it might be good experiences and bad experiences and all these things we summarize of what we learned from it what was the what what were some of the things we were grateful for and right. well, these are wonderful qualities of high achievers and and those of us who are academics um I don't ha- nearly have the schooling you do at all, um, but I I do love this level of intellectual engagement and kind of looking at things from different lenses. And I'm realizing more and more, I'm mm-hmm. an academic, but I want to say these things out loud that w- we don't look at all the experiences separately anymore. We're sum- summarizing it. It's a part of the skill set that's we've learned to be able to navigate to high levels of mm-hmm. of studiousness. And in doing that, we unconsciously are knocking away many violations that happen all the time. And by no means do I think a lot of the things you've gone through are many. I think you've gone through so many things you don't even know you've gone through them because they just had to happen in order for you to get to to you're going. Exactly. As you get more and more safe, as you cultivate what safety looks like and feels like in your body as an adult grown woman not having to perform for other reasons mm-hmm. other than your, your, your reasoning um, and your family legacy that you're building. Um, more of those memories I'm certain are going to come up and mm-hmm. if there's more shares that you get at, that, that come up, that you want to bring back onto the podcast. I'm all for it because to me, that's really why we talk about predatory patterns is they live in us. They yes. live in our, in our thinking, in our views of the world. And we, and by by their very nature, they protect us from seeing certain things. and when we mm-hmm. no longer need that protection, we remember. Mm-hmm.
3: Mm-hmm. And then those
0: memories come out of us, and um, I can't even begin to, to know what kind of safety it requires for black p- women or a black body in general to to know like when is it safe to start not doing some of these things that historically we've always had to do to keep our family safe. And, mm-hmm. and that's the unlearning, that's the somatic um, unlearning in, in in talking about race and bringing racialized uh, conversations back into the forefront in ways that are not attacking but are self-inquiry that allow us to start unpacking traumatized states that we've normalized as normal behavior and, and now we call it achievement <laughs> mm-hmm. or we call it success. Mm-hmm. And it's like what a success because I want to touch on what you said
1: about um being an academic because sometimes what I um what I do struggle with is looking at mm-hmm. because of my, conditioning conditioning based on my um generational, Family trauma, I was conditioned, like I mentioned earlier, about that education, that knowledge. So for me, it was about that institutional academia, getting that paper, and like how you said, like being educated to a level where except right as far as like these are
0: value systems the schools it's that
1: value that value system of I have to you know it has to be this school it has to be this school it has to be this school and then my own personal struggle was or still has been if I did not focus on excelling to get that academic, like that paper, feeling that that paper and that name would be respected, would I have gone through the level of whiteness that I experience? Because was I perceived as a threat? Because... Oh, I'm I'm trying
2: to compete on their level.
1: So that that has been a personal, you know, a but personal struggle for me. It's personal. Got to where- so
0: infused into yourself, so whole sense of identity. Mm-hmm. Because you, your early formation is with that as a dichotomy of becoming. Yeah, you know, yeah. But this has been
1: like, I've enjoyed this conversation. Yeah, <laughs> I really, do. I've, yeah. i I've, I've, I've enjoyed the, this conversation. I generally try to steer away from these conversations because they're like, ah, I don't want to, I don't, because what it brings up. Inside of you. Yes. Yeah. So I'm like, I don't want to have that conversation.
0: <laughs> well, and I really appreciate that. You know, I, I do, um, tread lightly in, in asking because it's no black person's responsibility to talk to us about, and I say us as white people, as a including me in, in the white body of sea of people. Um, and I also know that there's a lot of things that I've learned that my black friends will say amongst each other. And then sometimes when I'm around that they wouldn't normally say around most white people or mm-hmm. in white spaces. And so even picking uh-huh. that up in the cultural ways I've navigated Made me realize, like, wow, what if we did hear some of the inside things that Black people know about white people through their own story? But I also learned that in the conversation, it's not always so easy to come out because, Uh you know, who you've had to be in a way to be, in a way to operate, doesn't just dissipate. You know, safety is safety. Protection is protection. And that doesn't just go away just because we want it to go mm-hmm. away. It goes mm-hmm. away as we notice it being there. And then you're like, damn, why do I do that? And it's like, oh, well, legacy wise, of course mm-hmm. I do this. Um, so I appreciate you saying yes. Um, and also where we went, like it was kind of hard to start, but Right. And then you would have marriage. I'd say something, you'd be like, oh, I have a memory. Oh, I have a memory. And, <laughs> right. and I think that's to me what everyday whiteness and hopefully we'll get more and more, oh, remembrances of like, mm-hmm. oh, that's an example. Because the more we can hear those examples and we break the silence veil that says, oh, you're not allowed to say that to white people. And we just say, screw that. Yes, we need to start saying this because that's that original, you're not allowed to system is built off the false structure and system of dominator systems like white white supremacy and how, how mm-hmm. the United States. Every system in this country, in the United States of America, is built off yes. of really, really dark ideology around anti-blackness specifically, and white idolatry specifically. Basically, holding whiteness up and mm-hmm. As a group of white people, we've got to learn to start self-identifying outside of hate, outside yes. of comparing ourselves to other things, mm-hmm. um, but rather seeing people as other people, humans, cultures, whole yes. whole bodies of stories. Like I didn't know any of this stuff about you before we had this conversation. Mm-hmm. Like <laughs> right either, But still. Sometimes you don't cross the cultural barrier right. of knowing someone, right? Because your experiences are just like, yeah, well, nah, or whatever. Yeah, and then
1: I would say also it's like um, a thing of different people's upbringing. Like, my family is private family. My my family is like, don't share your business. Don't pay. like I have friends who spurt their business all to everyone, all like all on social media, and my family's like. Oh no, you don't do that. <laughs> like you just that that's not proper etiquette. <laughs> so, <laughs> but it's like the the conversation you will have the conversations and I will I will have I will have the conversations, but it's like for me, it's hmm. And then also I, I really it's not I'm not one to like really openly share
0: well i can't Religion. believe that so many of the spaces that you've in your early life were safe to share who you were mm-hmm. you know and mm-hmm. that you you know again it's it's compartmentalizing levels of self and mm-hmm. I, I don't think you can exceed the way you've excelled um, yeah. professionally without compartmentalizing and realizing mm-hmm. that not all places are safe to share are safe to share, self. yeah um, much less being a black woman in in white dominated spaces where there's a lot of built-in assumptions that you're proving against just by being, Mm -hmm. just by showing up, you have to prove against something that's exhaustive and and no one should have to do that in at any level. And yet, as much as your ancestors worked to not have you do that, you are still doing that. Mm -hmm. And it's why Mm -hmm. we're having this conversation so we can point it out so that the burden isn't on you alone. It's not on black people alone because Frankly, black people can't keep talking about all this stuff by themselves. <laughs> like, <what well-meaning laughs> white people in academic spaces that consider themselves liberal and woke, the woke white people more than anybody mm-hmm. to start stepping into these conversations. Mm-hmm. Yeah.
1: Well, I'm I'm gonna say this. Sometimes the liberal ones are the ones that jump into savior mode.
0: Yes. Yes. Like super we gotta fast. save the day. We're the ones that are gonna do this.
1: Right. But like back up, we can say, but, um, yeah, so it's, I, I think it's more so about not like jumping in, but like you said, getting around the table, having those ciphers, having those round table conversations. And for me, it's just about listening, like listen not immediately jumping in and saying, okay well what can we do to fix it listen you know like listen and think like because that whole what can we do to fix it what can we do it i'm not broken you know for a long time i thought i was broken but now i realize i've come learn i'm not broken so i don't need you to fix me that's right
2: Listen to me, and I'll listen to you.
1: So that it's more about respect and the listening. But don't think that I'm broken, because when that when that fixing it and thinking I'm broken, I need to be fixed. That's when that kind of um, inferiority and um, superiority complex
0: comes into play. And it's an unconscious build-in. Exactly. Right? somebody's coming in assuming that, well, white people have to get into this right. conversation to be able to make a difference and help Black people. Mm-hmm. But really, the spin is that white people have to get into the conversation with other white people. Mm-hmm. So we're not getting in to help Black people do anything. It's black like, people have actually figured themselves out and a fantastic right. job. Yeah, it's white like, people we, really we've been helping ourselves this long. <laughs> all this time and then new inventions and new music and new brilliance and new levels of excellence emerging out of black people, no matter Mm -hmm. what has been put against y'all over and Mm -hmm. over. And this is the point. I think it's like, yeah, black people don't need our help to do anything Mm -hmm. What they need is us to do our own help. Mm -hmm. And that means amongst ourselves. Yes. Us talking about the things that we do that we think are okay or normal because we're so unaware of black people and the limited scope of blackness that we have is whatever, you know, whatever you got fed into you from your early adult life, you know, exactly. Your exposure of sharing your story, I hope helps listeners be like, oh, and then you get to compare this human's story to mm. the limited scope of imagination you have in your brain of what Black people have or haven't done in mm-hmm. the last 50, 100, 200 years of rebuilding their lives after yes. hundreds of years of slavery and then other mm. atrocities that happened after that. Yes. Yes. And I think that's what hearing stories do is it lets us break the false illusions that right. kind of run our lives by and unconsciously mm-hmm. project on the world around us.
1: Right. Like the false illusions that most black people are the first people in their family go to college.
0: <laughs> like we're in
1: 2023. Come on.
0: <laughs> well, and let's add that that's actually been marketed as a thing uh, that, that this is why we need to help black people. Right. right. So there has been a liberal marketing level mm-hmm. language that has formed over the last number of years on a political socioeconomic level that actually feeds that. that and so yes. you automatically hear the stories of, I'm the first person in my family right. college. I'm the first. What we don't conveniently hear is that there were absolutely brilliant families in the 1800s 1900s and all and far way past that but let's just talk about the rebuilding Mm -hmm. after slavery stage and and there are legacy wealth black families people that were millionaires in in Mm -hmm. 1900s we don't hear about black we don't hear those stories because we're being fed an imagery Mm -hmm. and your family doesn't meet that imagery right and so automatically that You know, we all have work to do on that because public education and private education, like we're we're purposely getting limited scopes of the real reality. And if you're not getting real history from your family legacy, then what are you getting?
1: Right. Which is another whole thing. Like, well, people are like, oh, your family went to private school. There's something like, but there's a reason my family went to private school and my family doesn't believe in public education. Because back in Mississippi, when my grandfather and them were coming up, the public school only went to a certain level. And they did not teach um, math and science to the colored students. And then after that level, they were expected to go work in the fields. But my grand, great-grandfather had the resource, So he had to pay for them to go to school in the next county over and that's because he wanted them to be able like they need math and science they so he paid for them and because of that my family does not believe in public school because they had a certain level of education back then that they would educate the they color knew what is, these
0: systems entailed right. and what they were doing to exactly and limit possibilities. Exactly, and so it's so easy in today's day and age to separate and divide and conquer. And mm-hmm. be like, "Oh, you grew up privileged, yada Great. yada," and then you end up in this category of, "Oh, you're just privileged." Instead of listening to, to this the story. legacy mm-hmm. of your story of like mm-hmm. what your family had to go through to to get the education and right. And and, like, this is how we bridge the massive gaps of real life history, which is Mm -hmm. all of our history. It's not black history, folks. It's our history
3: Mm -hmm. and
0: the history of how families grew and were destroyed, land taken or land kept and Why families fight so hard to make sure education and other types of value systems remain intact as generations move on? Mm -hmm. What legacy wealth is about? It's just this story and our conversation has reminded me how complex it is. It's all just yeah, it's it's layers and layers, layers and layers. So yeah. Well, thank you for today. Um, thank you. I want you. to make sure that you feel complete in that um, the story you were telling about the the women that didn't meet you um, or didn't, you know, said that this wasn't a, a space for you anymore. Was there something that you did to wrap that up, or anything that you want to share in wrapping that up?
1: Um, with wrapping that up, so the way, like I said, it felt like a huge violation. Um, that. I had to really work through um so I did not go on to do the project
0: and when you heard everything they said that she said did you have a response right then or you just took it all in and was like in disbelief of the things that was going on
1: I, I was I was in disbelief with it and then I did Say to them what you said. It's like, so you're weaponizing my rupture against me.
0: So you said that then you had the I said, yeah, I had matter. I said that.
1: And then it was thrown back at me. And then it came at a level of anger where I was <laughs> attacked. And it's like, no, but we can't, we can't take back what you said. What? Yeah, so it's it's using your stuff against you again. Uh, yeah. you can, getting
0: angry at you yeah, for it.
1: You can't take that, but I have the money. And then it got into a, well, we can't trust you. They can't and this, trust you? Yes. So it's was all flipped back on for me. So like I said, I did not do the, I did not do the program. My money was returned back to me. And it was- I went through like a point of what does like what does this mean? And what did and then I did kind of really battle and am still kind of battling like, well, can black women and white women exist
2: in
0: partnerships to that extent. And that's something that I'm still working through. Right. It's still a question that's out for answer, meaning it's it's, um, experience has taught you that that's still unsure.
1: Yeah. Because this just happened like two years ago. So it's still kind of fresh. (laughs) Mm -hmm. I
2: hear you. I think that's a great inquiry and
0: it's such a good question. And what I'm learning is like the behavior you just talked about it seems episodic, like it's an incident, right? And it's an incident Mm -hmm. that happened to you. Um, And one of the goals of this uh, podcast and and, and more that we bring forth is to illuminate the patterns of behavior right as one of the w- white women patterns of behavior is what you just talked about right is the oh yeah they're are uh, a ton that's
1: for another day we may have to come back and have that
0: discussion
1: about the, because there are, a, there are
0: are tons mm-hmm. right and throw it you know just illuminating it that it's um she you called it out as weaponizing and then she gets angry at you and then you're the one that did something. And so therefore you're no longer. So there it's flipped around as if the victim is the person Mm -hmm. who was the original one, who was the violator and it's classic abusive behavior. And so when we start to name it for what it is, it's 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 what happens in interpersonal relationships mm-hmm. it's, it's classic gaslighting it's making you mm-hmm. think that there might have been something wrong with the narcissistic way that you the behavior yeah sociopathic so the more we call it for what it is just because white women have historically always wielded this level of of pattern um expression doesn't mean it's it's okay and now when you when we're the victim of it over and over we can't and you did. And yes. so I just thank you for that. I thank you for just highlighting it, but also highlighting the question like, is it possible that this <laughs> collab that this collaboration of white women and black women could in the same space? Is it? And yeah. Yeah. instead of trying to find the answer, it's just kind of something that stays permeating as we do this work of 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 unpacking. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It is. And I would
1: say um it, it brings up another point where it's the question and this is like really really recent where um as recent as Thursday mm. with our um our team meeting and there was an incident that happened with the um the dean of the team that
2: basically um
1: It was a public shaming and firing in our staff, in our full team meeting that should have been handled in a completely different, like private person. And that's the thing. And it wasn't of a black person. It was a white woman against another white woman, but being witness to that
0: Right, how white it, women are doing this to right, each other. To each and other, same, it same. made me feel like, I
1: I can't trust this person. Like, if she will do this to a white woman, what would she do to me? Mm. And it it was just, and I'm it was like, okay, I have to get out of this place. I seriously have to, and it made everyone feel. Uncomfortable, where you're shaming, but you're doing it in a sense of this is you know our team. Something's fell by the wayside, and we're not servicing the students like this. All like soft and thing, and because of that, we've made the decision to do this, and and so people are in the chat like so is such and such leaving like what what's going on like uh, what like in pure shock wow that you basically you spent 10 minutes saying everything that was wrong and like then actually shaming two. White women saying, "And this is not my fault because my predecessor put this into my place, and I never would have done this." And deflecting, do you
0: blame off of on
1: someone? And so for this one who was not on the call, and then the other one is like, "You're shaming her." And then when people say, "Well, what's happening?" and "Oh, well." No, she will be um, leaving us March. So then you're expecting her to stay until March 1st. I would have been like, bitch, I'm gone. <laughs> right. Like I'm gone. <laughs> and so, but it's, even though, it, but like you said, it was away from me. But I'm like, she'll do this to her own.
0: Like I can't trust her.
1: That's right. That's right.
0: On that note, folks, yes. book, white women, Okay. there's a book called White Women, Everything You Already Know About Your Own Racism mm-hmm. and How to Do Better. It's by Regina Jackson and Syra Rao. And this is a call for all white women, um, because that's really one of the summations that they put into this book is y'all do this to each other. And that's the problem. Mm-hmm. Is y'all do this to each other and don't see us? So you actually don't actually have any real connection or community, which is why you're stealing ours and and the whole thing just breaks it down so well, but you highlighted so many of the undercurrents mm-hmm. before the language is 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 mapped out as like mm-hmm. uh, yep, that's white womanness, <laughs> yep, that's white woman-ness. <laughs> and I look forward to that commonality not mm-hmm. coming as like a um a, an insult around like oh that's the Karen because that's kind of where Karen is yes. on, you know it's just like it's fully insulting, but it should be because whiteness is very insulting. It's very mm-hmm. violating. It's very we- it's very lethal, is what I call it. So mm-hmm. um, I like that we're moving in this direction of being able to yes. name white womanness for the patterns of behavior that we engage in and, and may not see, um, right. because white women are doing it to each other. Mm-hmm. Ding ding ding. And so therefore mm-hmm. you're like, whoa, can I trust this? Right. No. Yeah. So thank <laughs> you. <It's been laughs> yeah. great. No much more. Know, like, right. <laughs> it's like, yeah. yeah.
1: <laughs> that, that's how that that's how that meeting was like.
0: Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, folks, I hope you hear that that that's why this is an an uncomfortable conversation. Mm -hmm. Not so much that the the topics are always bad to discuss because we had an enjoyable conversation, but that it's uncomfortable to not have solutions to things and to talk about a lot of stuff that's shitty because unconsciously so many of us were trained to not look at all the things that are shitty and only focus on the things you can control. And when we're talking about systems of brutality, like Mm -hmm. dominator systems of white supremacy, We can't not engage in this conversation as white people, not in preservation of Black people, in preservation of our frippin' selves, (laughs) because it's not human. It's not human to be as unkind as we have been built to be. It's it's not looking and listening to people for who they are. And we have to unlearn that. Again, not Mm -hmm. on anybody else's behalf, but on our behalf. Yes. And say what Raquel, uh, listen to what Raquel summed up for us here. Listen. Listen to people's stories. Don't assume when you hear them or whatever that you know something about them. Ask, learn, and listen.
2: Ask. Yes, that's it. Don't assume. Ask.
0: You know, and and oftentimes we don't know how to ask when somebody is different from the culture that we come from, you know, it's, it's confusing. And that's only because we haven't learned that it's normal. It's normal to not know. It's normal to just be like, hmm, tell me, tell me about yourself, you know, like, but ask a question that you would want to be asked. Mm -hmm. Don't go ask a question that has built in assumptions and undertones that automatically shows the position in which you stand. Ask mm-hmm. a question you would want to be asked of you. Yes. And, and that's called looking at someone's humanity.
3: Mm-hmm.
0: Thank you. It's been great to have you on today. Yes, this has been great. I've loved it. Raquel Harper. And this has been another episode of the Uncomfortable Conversations um, on well-meaning white people. The information presented in this podcast are for general educational purposes only. The views and opinions expressed are solely the views of the individuals involved. By listening, you agree not to use this podcast as medical advice to treat any medical condition in either yourself or others, including but not limited to patients that you are treating. Nothing in this podcast is intended to replace the services of a trained therapist, doctor, or health professional, or otherwise to substitute for professional mental health, medical advice, diagnosis, or treatment. Guru Nishan LLC and affiliate organizations shall under no circumstances be liable to any listener of the podcast or viewer for any action or inaction on your part as a result of the content you consume on this podcast or for any adverse reaction, including any emotional distress you experience as a result of consuming this podcast.